We've barely made it past January, and we're already seeing incredible work happening in the faith-driven investing movement around the world and across various asset classes. From the conference streams in over 100 major cities, to small group meetings and an intimate gathering of fund managers, God is moving through faith-driven investors who are taking on this charge to build, give, and invest for God's glory. So, in today's episode of the Faith Driven Investor Podcast, we're going to talk about the current state of faith-driven investing and show how you can get off the sidelines and into the game to be part of this exciting work. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. All opinions expressed on this podcast, including the team and guests, are solely their opinions. Host and guests may maintain positions in the companies and securities discussed, and this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as specific investment advice for any individual or organization. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everyone, to the Faith Driven Investor Podcast. My name is Joey Hanesco, and I'm filling in for our usual hosts, John Coleman and Luke Rausch, today. Uh, on a regular time, I'm getting to work behind the scenes as a producer of the show. But today, I get to come out and chat with our two guests today, co-founders of Faith Driven Entrepreneur and Faith Driven Investor, Justin Foreman and Henry Kaysner. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Well, thank you. It's great to be with you guys. Awesome. It's, it's, Henry, it's great to have you back. I mean, you were traveling a, a lot there for a bit. I was traveling a lot, and it was a beautiful thing. Um, more travel than normal, but you know, we changed the way that we do the Faith Driven Investor Conference this year. In the past, of course, we've had this Faith Driven Investor Live, and we've had thousands of people around the world dial in at the same time. And there's something really special about being a part of the programming and guests that are talking and just everybody's experiencing it at the exact same moment. And yet, of course, as the movement has gone more global, that gets to be pretty difficult with time zones. And so then we went ahead and we started doing it so it'd be at the same time, you know, say eight o'clock in whatever region we're in. But most recently, we did something that allowed us to have a really neat barnstorming trip through Asia. And that is that engaged host and long-term advocates for faith-driven investor got in and said, you know, we'd like to host a watch party. So that gave us an opportunity as we've tried to be more and more flexible with that to be in Jakarta on Tuesday and Kuala Lumpur on Thursday. Singapore was on Wednesday and Manila, Friday, Hong Kong on Saturday. So it was awesome. And what was so encouraging for me is that, you know, ours is a movement that's powered by 1,300 volunteers. And they're just leaning into the fact that, you know, we've got space at a church or in my business conference room, and I can invite 15 or 20 folks and let's get around the table and let's watch it. So we've had watch parties, I think as small as maybe five or six and as big as, I guess, maybe 120 or so, getting together in community fellowship. And I get a chance to experience that and eat some phenomenal food. But there's just something really special about experiencing a movement of God in different cities and realizing how universal God's love is. Anytime you get to be with God's image bearers, they come from different cultures. That's a special thing. And just, uh, it was really encouraging. Yeah, it's so fun to see it. It's a local movement, but connected with that shared DNA. But you know, you're talking about watch parties of all sizes. It was fun to see some of the, yeah, 10, 20, 30 people in a smaller watch party. But you also had some hosts that had some epic setups. I mean, there were some screens there that, like, belonged in a basketball room. Oh, yeah. I mean, you had some great setups there. <laughs> the technology in Singapore was amazing. We had a, I don't know, a 70-foot wide screen. It was unbelievable. If you sat on the far left of it, just the way it worked, whoever was on the video 
looked much bigger. And so it's funny, I was sitting on the left-hand side, and as I was doing the co-host segment with Luke, it made me look like a giant and made him look like a little puny guy, which I thought was very, very funny. I took a bunch of pictures of it and I sent to Luke because Luke's, of course, a former football player, and I'm very much not. So I enjoyed my couple minutes of being physically bigger than Luke. Yeah, it's cool, too, because it's not just in Asia. That's where you got to go. But, you know, we had dozens of folks meeting in Ukraine was one of the big watch parties. We had uh, people all over Europe, uh, Africa, in the U.S. So there were all these really cool things. One of the videos that stood out to a lot of people was this Dear Investor uh, story. And Justin, talk a little bit about just the vision behind it, and then we'll play it and, and talk about it a little bit. Yeah, it's a gift to be able to work with such a creative team. And as we were thinking about some of these pieces with the Dear Entrepreneur video that we did at the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Conference this year, we felt like we wanted to present the issue from a bunch of different perspectives. And so when it came to investing, when it came to this piece, we're trying to wrestle through, I think, really two things. One, like how do we present this thing that God's calling us into, not as a got to, but as a get to? so that people see it's not like out of compulsion, but it's this upside down journey and adventure that's fun, it's exciting, it's living on the edge. And so we endeavored to try to create a piece that did that. But then the second thing that I think that was so much fun was really showing what Henry's remarking on is, is the global nature of the movement. That This is not one ministry, this is not one organization, one fund manager, one pastor, one anything. It is a collective thing. And the snippets of these pieces from voices of leaders in the movement from Africa to Asia to the U.S. and all different asset classes and generosity and investing and young and old. It was just fun to really kind of pull together a piece that I think is kind of like an anthem cry of saying, OK, what is this really all about? So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We're so grateful for so many friends that contributed to the piece. And it's been really encouraging to see how it turned out. Yeah, the video is definitely worth watching. It adds a lot with the visuals, but here we're just going to play. It's about three minutes. We're going to play the audio clip and we'll jump back in after that. It's time we had an honest conversation about wealth. Money has power and Christ followers are just as enticed by what it offers. We've been trained to think that comfort comes from collecting and consuming. We fill storehouses with security and give just enough away to feel good while staying safe. We might check boxes of generosity, but our desires are subtly focused on prestige, recognition, stability. We don't have to settle for a casual, comfortable, Christian spin on the world's definition of success. We don't have to try to balance God and money. Jesus makes it clear that we cannot. We can only serve one master, not two, or even one and a half. Money beckons us with promises of power but then it holds its power over us. It makes us operate from scarcity, not abundance. As if God never fed thousands with a willing kid's lunchbox. The boy gave up all his power. Five loaves, two fish, 100%. Not 10, not 20, or even 90. And it wasn't about the tools he held. It was about how he held them. Saying, Lord, use what power I have for your good and your glory, not mine. God has given you a lunchbox too. He's equipped you with capital, influence, leadership. And he's inviting you into an incredible journey where you partner with him to see lives changed and communities restored. But it starts with surrender. It's his plans for your investment, not yours. It's his reputation that drives you, not yours. It's his mission that consumes you, not yours. 
See, there's a growing movement of faith-driven investors deploying capital for God's kingdom, and you can be a part of it. As individual investors, fund managers, advisors, ministry leaders, we have different roles, yet our calling is very similar. To glorify God in all that we do. God doesn't want to guilt you into anything. He wants to invite you into a wildly different way of seeing everything. He wants to bring you on an adventure into an upside down world where you find joy through surrender, where you receive when you give, and where abundant life comes down from laying your life down. Every investment has an impact. What will yours be? We want to see God's will done in every corner of the earth, from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Under His power and for His glory. Amen. 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 One thing that stands out when I hear that video, and I've heard you guys both talk about this a lot, is this idea of joy through surrender. That this isn't a trading down or a sacrifice, but this is a trading up that comes from living out the way that God has called us to. So I'd want to give you guys a second just to kind of riff on that particular topic. And then I'd love to hear what kind of stands out in the lines that are meaningful to y'all as well. Well, I think there are a bunch of things that are at play here. And I think that one is absolutely a joy through surrender. But I think that it works best when we embrace this theological concept that God owns it all. You'd think that that'd be very, very bad news for the person who has up until now thought that they own 90% of everything and God owned 10%. Any day in which you lose 90%, you know, that would be a bad day, you'd think. And yet the counter-cultural reality of the way that God designed the world and us to be in relationship with him is that as we do surrender, we get this joy and we give up this monochromatic life that's conformed to the pattern of the world and we walk in this technicolor, beautiful life of living with God and, and as his steward rather than the burden of owning and, and all the things that money can do as the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches kind of corrupts us. When we change that, it is something that's really powerful. And yet that is amplified when we do it together in community. See, wealth isolates, and that's a challenge, and it's maybe the way that Satan would have it. Wealth isolates us, and as people have more and more wealth to steward above and beyond that which they might even need in this lifetime, but definitely in, in the course of this year, people try to hold themselves out a little bit because they're concerned that people are asking them for money, and most people do. When we've all done that. We've all been at different stages in our life. We've seen people that have more wealth or power, and so we are attracted to them, and we want to we want to invite them into what we're doing or ask something of them. And so wealth tends to isolate. I think one of the most powerful parts of what happens at these FDI watch parties is that you get these two things happening together. One is the joy through surrender and the joy and world with a real emphasis on the joy and then doing that in community and experiencing that joy together in a non-prescriptive, presumptuous way. It's not like, oh, well, if you're not investing in this fund, well, you're not doing this well enough. No, it's just this what is God telling each of us? How do we share best practices? How do we do this in community? And that becomes something really beautiful. You know, I think one of the things that strikes me about it is what Henry's talking about here of joy is I think we've gone as far as obligation can take us. I think in the church that this conversation of obligation or obedience or you should versus you get to, like I think that we have to pivot because I think we've gone as far as obligation has taken us. I think that's a good word, you know, because we try to be faithful and obedient, right? Mm -hmm. But there's something on the other side. 
But what you're saying, I think, is that we've kind of maxed out the whole dialogue around money and power and possessions and all those things has been about faithfulness and obedience. And there's great scripture on that, right? Die to self, take up our cross, etc. And yes, we need to be faithful and obedient. And yet so much of the gospel message, of course, is on this other end of the spectrum, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think that you have to get to the other side. And it's hard to like even talk about the joy until you get to the other side and taste that joy. And I think that like it's what you're hitting on is, is when you do it in community, people help you get over that gap, that chasm or whatever it is. And once you get into it, it's, I mean, your analogy of Technicolor, some of our listeners might be a little bit too young for that. It might be 720 versus 4K, whatever the analogy is. But the point is still the same. It's like once you see it in Technicolor, once you see something in 4K, you just can't go back. And it's that joy element of it that, you know, it's like we've made it so complex sometimes that it's so simple. And I think that at times, like when you said the, the aspect of, like there's a selfishness in this in some ways. It's like, I do this because I wanna feel God's pleasure. I wanna experience his joy. But I think it speaks to scripture where it says, actually, it's not selfish. It's like when your prayers are aligned with his heart, that's the beautiful thing. It's not that you're pulling in a different direction. It's that you're praying for joy. You're wanting joy. And those are the prayers God wants to answer. You know, I was struck by that because, so this week we're filming a project about prayer. And a friend, Derwin Gray, pastor in North Carolina, spoke to this concept and he let this simple statement said, he said, if God answered all of your prayers, would your life be more holy? If he gave you everything that you prayed for, would it look more like his kingdom or would it look more like an Amazon shopping list? Would it look like that it really stepped into what God wants? And I think that's what you're hitting on is, is like when we're pursuing joy, when we're pursuing that, like God's going to step into those moments. And yeah, there's just something about joy is going to be just, I think, a key piece of this movement for the years to come. I think that's a great point. I'm so excited about that series coming out. It makes me think about Chip Ingram, who's a frequent contributor to all that we do at Faith Driven, who talks about the four prayers that God answers being Ephesians 1 and 2, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, 2, about really praying in a way that is in line with God's heart with a hopeful expectancy that in doing so, we will experience his joy because that's the way that God designed us. And yet so much of what we do is it tends to be apart from that. And so it's this balance. Yeah. A powerful thought there. You know, one of the other things that maybe changing conversation a little bit, Henry, is I'd love to hear your thoughts on just these moments, these events, these conferences. It's a fun, like kind of measure up moment where you can see where the movement has grown, the steps that have been taken. We're such doers. As entrepreneurs, investors, we're always thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next. Yeah. And we don't have those moments to like pause and reflect and say, man, how far things have come, how much God has been up to. And I don't know about you, but I was just struck by so many of them. I think two things that stood out to me was one was just the momentum and the conversation with Dallas Jenkins that John Coleman had and just about the Wonder Project and some of the big things happening. And there's been recent news here in the last couple of weeks about the House of David series. It's going to be a part of that with Amazon Prime getting behind it. You just can sense this momentum of conversation that's happening there on that front and the faith-driven investing community really rallying behind that. But I think the other thing that stood out to me was just Tim's conversations about just the growth and the maturing that's happened in this space. I mean, I think some of the statistics that he said in that was that we have gone from, what was it, 22 products to 155. 
with 29 new products and funds kind of launched in the last two years. And, and then he started talking about that, I think mainly first from just a public markets perspective, but then he shifted it into just kind of the whole movement as a whole. And I mean, you've been in this, I mean, you, from the beginning, like how does that conversation when you hear Tim talk about the progress and the things that are happening, how does that you know impact you? Well, I'm encouraged by it. I, there are a bunch of different things to point to. I think that this year we had a faith-driven investor conference for professionals in the venture capital and private equity industry. So it was last Friday and we had 168 of them at the Rosewood Hotel in Menlo Park. And it was so cool to hear about how some of these fund managers are incorporating chaplaincy or offering chaplaincy up to some of their portfolio companies and starting to feel better about sharing their faith in a winsome way to their portfolio companies and how increasingly faith-driven entrepreneurs in emerging markets are getting access to capital that is aligned with their faith. So there's some incremental things that are developments in pretty much every type of industry, real estate, absolutely. But then, of course, private equity and venture capital. And now also on the public market side. So we have, you know, there's a first ever ETF that's investing in Christian CEOs of publicly traded companies. So companies that are publicly listed run by Christian CEOs. And there's just great work that's being done by Eventide as they continue to invest in a way that makes the world rejoice. I mean, there's so many different great things that we hear about along the way. And yet, when I hear people coming away from these conferences, it tends not to be any one particular thing. It tends to be the sense of, wow, I found a community of people that are really wrestling with these things. And the benefit and the joy and the thing I'm taking away from this was how I just felt much more alive in my faith in this community. And that happens on the watch parties, of course, and it happened at the conference we had at the Rosewood. But it happens with these faith-driven investor groups we have. The biggest takeaway is like I was in this group for six weeks, an hour a week, you know, we go through and we learn about some of the things that are going on. But I met people struggling with the same things I am. And, you know, can we make money doing this? If you're talking about faith-driven investing. Does that mean that we need to just go ahead and just, you know, give up alpha and in the name of Jesus? Or what does this even mean? Am I judged because I do this or that? And just being able to process all of these things together and finding new friends. And a bunch of them decided to go to Africa together to find out what's going on in Africa. So I, two weeks from now, there's a group of about a dozen that are part of Faith Driven Investor Group. We're going to go to Nairobi, Kigali, and Lagos, Nigeria. Just like, hey, we've all been in this group together. Let's go talk to some fund managers. Let's find out if we can do this in a way that makes an impact. Let's find out if we can actually find some fund managers that actually can provide some good return. And what does that even look like? But I think that in each case, the what's really drawing them together is this kind of like it's a I don't know if it's this worship is the right word, but it's this, it's this togetherness, it's this community of people just like, hey, we're all trying to figure out how to store what God's given us. Let's do it together and the joy that comes from that. I'm really looking forward to hearing what these folks, these 12 people learn when they come back. Yeah, what I'm excited about what you're saying, Henry, is pulling all these different pieces together. We've talked about heart change kind of in this early stage with this Dear Investor video, this going from black and white to technicolor existence. And then you're talking about the role community plays in shaping that. And I think Tim's content and some of the other things that we've seen here talking about the opportunities to really get in the game. And one of the coolest takeaways for me when I was watching the conference was seeing stories like the Wichtermans or the Farrells of these people that actually stepped up and saw, hey, I can get in the game. I can do this. And... One thing that I was thinking about, Henry, as you were talking is 
in your early investing journey, how did community help you align your faith in your investing? I've heard you talk a lot about the way that community in general does that. I'd love to know just kind of from your own experience what that has looked like. Well, everything I've ever done entrepreneurially has always been done with a partner. You know, the most recent example, of course, is faith-driven movements with my partner, Justin, is on the line right now with us. And the case for me to answer your question is co-founding Sovereign's Capital with Andre Mann and with Luke Roush. And Luke and I continue to talk like once a week as we just process what God is showing us as we stored our own personal capital. But then as Luke is a fiduciary, and I've moved on now, I'm full-time in the ministry, but just as he and John Coleman are fiduciaries of other people's money, but I still get involved because we're looking at these trends about what's going on in real estate investing and what's going on in public markets and how we're thinking about voting proxies and how do we have a, a winsome witness to our faith as we store capital. So for me, it was, when you talk about joining a community, it started off really in just deep partnership. And Luke and I committed. I could never have done this by myself for that matter. I could never have done bandwidth without David. I could never have done Chapel Hill Brokers without Tom Hahn. I think that I know that God has designed us to be in partnership. Jesus you know, sent two grown men to go get a donkey. So there's this opportunity to do things together because it's otherwise it's just super hard. It's super hard for me to do anything by myself. Thank goodness he sent me Kimberly. I don't know what I'd be if I didn't have Justin as my partner in Faith Driven and Kimberly as my partner at home. I don't know. I probably would be eating wild honey dressed in camel's hair. You know, Henry, one of the things that strikes me about that is, is like, yeah, you're just talking. You've talked about community at the beginning and then you broke it down to like um, from zero to one. You broke it down to that idea of like, what does it take to find that person, that partner, that person for you and your family, that person in different ventures and things. I think that's one of the things, Joey, that when I looked at those stories about the Wickermans, and then when I looked at the one that we did about Potomac Angel Group, like there's such humility in that. And I just want to just like affirm, encourage, celebrate that like there are people, when I think about Bill and Dana, and I think about the humility of that story and like how Dana just breaks it down to say, hey, we stepped in this major wealth event and it scared me. And it paralyzed her as she tells the story of like every decision. Like, do I buy, you know, is it window treatments? Like, is it this car? Is it this trip? Is it this whatever? And she talks about that, but then she talks about the point where they found another couple, I think it was April Chapman and her husband, that then started this conversation where she felt safe and she felt, they both felt safe having these conversations about things that are otherwise off the table in the church. And it's because of that humility. It's because of that authenticity. It's because of that vulnerability that we're able to say, oh, that's what this looks like to get in the game. That's more accessible than I ever thought it was. That's more joyful than I ever thought it might be able to be. And so I'm just so grateful for Bill and Dana in that story. And of course, then the Potomac Angel Group, and maybe we'll get more into that. But it is just fun to see leaders of the movement the humble heroes taking this movement deeper by their authenticity and their vulnerability. And there's a line in there that she's like, and I didn't want to be bullied, right? Because I see that in my relationship with Kimberly, because we've at different times, we've been at different places along our generosity journey. And generosity can sometimes get conflated with faith-driven investing. And part of that's good, part of that's bad. The generosity part is helpful because that's what taught Kimberly and I both that God owns it all and that that's not bad news and giving comes as a part of that, but then also is investing. And so is our lives and our time. 
but I know that at different times I've been ahead of Kimberly on that generosity journey. And there have been times when she's been ahead of me. Where is it point in time where we had a second home that we really loved and yet we were really, really excited about making a gift to ministry called Hope International Microfinancing. It was Kimberly that suggested that we sell the house. So it doesn't mean that I'm always, even though this is kind of what my vocation is, doesn't mean that I'm always the one in lead. In some cases, she's the one in lead. I was a little bit more excited about holding on to that than Kimberly was. But the investing side is something that is just altogether, it's different and it's beautiful and that it can be really productive and participating and seeing other things grow, fruit on other people's trees. You know, I think it's beautiful to look at the power of the stories. It's beautiful to look at so many partners that would be remiss to not mention so many great ministries and partners and friends in the space from Generous Giving and Generosity Path and National Christian Foundation and so many of the hosts of these watch parties and events. And to think what they set in motion by their faithfulness and obedience and catalyzing a movement in their city. And so encouraging to see that. I think one of the things that I would also, before we kind of maybe move to the kind of some of the next ideas is like, where were we challenged from this event? And where were the things that we felt like maybe we got feedback on and said, hey, where do we go further still? And I was struck by one comment that somebody made about just saying, okay, there's some stories and some great things that talked about gospel proclamation and talked about sharing the why, what we do. And I think collectively as a movement and as a ministry, there's a challenge for us to say, how do we make sure that we don't just wrap either great results or great impact or social side of things, but we don't miss the opportunity to share the why that drives us, the story, the words, weaving the gospel threads into this conversation. It's tough at times. It's tough as a faith-driven entrepreneur, and sometimes it's even, I think, more difficult as a faith-driven investor. But I think that's a challenge and it's a growth area for us and as we tell stories and content, but I think it's a growth area also for the movement, for us to say, what does it look like to make sure that we don't work so hard to get to that place and then miss the opportunity to tell that why? Yeah. I'm trying to think about, you got me going with what kind of feedback did I get about the conference and what's next? And the thing that is really our greatest challenge, I think, in the movement over the course of the next several years is developing the third leg to the stool. So many people want to get in the game, and yet, for good reason, we're working with financial advisors who are trusted fiduciaries who are working with us to help us to understand our need for income or our tolerance for risk or the different places where we feel called. And that's a really valuable part of the ministry. There's some number of people who come out of a faith-driven investor group who then go ahead and are able to get right in the game. And they see a list of 35 different fund families that are on the faith of an entrepreneur marketplace. And they're like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pick some that are in real estate and some that are in emerging markets and some that are in private equity, venture capital. And I'm used to making my own investment decisions. But most of the way that people steward wealth is with working with an advisor. And for good reason. It's a really important role in society and the economy. And I've been encouraged by and this is the difference, I think, between this year's watch party and conference and the year before is that more financial advisors were hosting and involved in watch parties and are starting to develop those arrows in the quiver and just acknowledge the fact that that's difficult to do. And that's the number one thing I think that the movement needs are more advisors to come in and say, you know what, we see that there's an opportunity to store an investment capital in a way that builds God's kingdom. We're going to go ahead and 
do the work to onboard some of these new funds, understand what's right for our clients. Hopefully there's some listeners to this podcast who are like, you know what? I get it. I see that there's going to be market demand. More and more people are coming out of faith-driven investor groups who want to get in the game and I want to help them be that river guide. Yeah. As we come to a close here, I'm thinking we've touched on heart change. We've touched on the opportunities in the movement. Now we're talking about some of the barriers of the movement. I would love to end us here thinking about what are the hopes for the movement in 2024? You know, I mean, that could go so many different ways. And it's such a big, broad movement that it's going to be hard to even scratch the surface of the whole thing. But if I were to reframe that and say, what is one of the things you're most excited about in the season? And to build on some of the things that Henry mentioned when he talked about the partnership and recognizing that this is a decision with him and Kimberly. And then when I think about like what Henry's talking about with the river guides, I think one of the things that we just continue to be reminded of is that this journey to faith-driven investing, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's gonna take a lot of things and it's gonna take several key partners. It's gonna be making sure that you're united at home and that you're connected, united, something different, but something similar with your advisor. And I think that one of the fun things that I'm really looking forward to is that we have this new project releasing that Brooke and Luke Roush kind of talk through their journey. And so that they, when it's Brooke and Luke kind of talk through it and just talk through their journey of like being in this space, but then also going there as a family themselves. And I think that that's going to be just an incredible tool to something that couples can go through with other couples individually. But I think it's just going to be a key step in the movement to uniting a home, uniting a family and saying, hey, this might take some time from us to get where we are, from where we are to where we want to go, where God's calling us to go. But it's such a needed one. Like these are needed conversations that have to happen. And it's one we're right on the edge of. Yeah. And to further that, my hope is that husbands and wives get together on their knees and just ask God how he would have them steward their lives. But yes, their investment capital and their financial resources. That's the big win. But I think that more than anything else, God just wants us to be in relationship with him. And too often I haven't asked God about how he would have me make any one of a number of decisions, but way too often it's financial. And when it's financial in the past, it had been about giving or how much to give, but he had not until recently ever been about how would you have me invest? I just made the assumption that God wanted me to invest and make as much money as possible. And I just, I never asked him. And that's the big win for 2024, is that more and more couples will get down on their knees and ask God, how would you have a story to capital? Always a pleasure. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Justin. Justin, you said that phrase, scratching the surface. And I think that's what this episode did. We're going to dive into a lot of these topics in more detail over the coming weeks. So keep up with the show. Check out the website for those videos and those resources that we're talking about. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks, the next show. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve this community and see listeners come in from more than 100 countries. Faith-driven investing can be a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a group study with other investors looking to get the same answers to questions you have and find great community as they do so. There's no cost, no catch. In person or online, you can meet an hour a week with other peers from your backyard or the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at faithdriveninvesting.org. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of many of our friends, executive producer Justin Foreman, 
Intro mixed and arranged by Summer Dregs. Audio and editing by Richard Barley. Our theme song is Sweet Ever After by Ellie Holcomb. 